Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 558, air date April 7th, 2020. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. I hope everyone's doing well and is having a good morning. Um, to people in India, I know it's evening time there. Uh, people in Africa, I know it's evening time there in Europe. And then people on the West Coast, it's, I know it's early. The reason I'm, uh, and obviously people in Boston here, it's around 9 a.m. I'm a little bit sorry for the delay, but we have some very, very important stuff to talk about. I, uh, let me just make sure uh, people on Twitter are okay. One second. And everyone's fine there. Um, if you notice the title of the talk, it's really about citizen science versus the scientific establishment and the path to truth, freedom, and health. Um, I want to step back. I, I, was, um, I want to talk about a little bit about censoring that's taking place. Before I start this talk, I want to talk a little bit about Fauci again. We did an, uh, an amazing petition campaign. I think nearly 20,000 people have signed up in one day or one and a half days. And then I want to talk about um, what we need to do to move ourselves forward in an environment that is becoming more and more fascist. And that is what we're seeing around us. And there's fear and fascism, and it's all brought to you by the cabal of big pharma. And this is no longer conspiracy anymore. This is, we're seeing it play out right before our eyes. So we're gonna have a um, discussion. So pull up your, I have some green tea here, if people wanna pull up their chai or coffee, but we're gonna talk about for an hour, and then we're gonna take some questions to really have a deep dive discussion about what is taking place in the world because this what we're witnessing right now is no longer anything having to do with any one country anymore it is a phenomenon that is taking place globally um, and it's time that we have a discussion on it so we can frame ourselves as a citizenry to get ready so let me start with something that just occurred about 24 hours ago and i think it'll set the context um, i was not on twitter if you notice i wasn't tweeting and why was that well, the reason that happened is Twitter shut me down for 24 hours, okay? And why did they do that? Well, let's just review what happened. About, within the last 24 hours, let me go here. As many of you know, um, I have been uh, uncompromising in exposing this guy, Anthony Fauci, who is really taking advantage of not only the President of the United States, he's taking advantage of the American people, and he's taking advantage of the people throughout the world. He serves the interest of big pharma, and he serves the interests of big science, big research, and the military-industrial-academic complex. That's what he serves. And today what I'm going to do is lay out where Fauci really comes up, but more deeper, the history of science and where how decrepit it has become worldwide you see at one point we used to respect scientists because we looked to them to find truth the noble duty of the scientists was to explore truth however what's happened is the scientists have really become academics they've become charlatans they have actually become the 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 tip of the spear of the military industrial academic complex to shove down our tro throats fake problems and fake solutions and, and they do it through fear. So um, 24 to 48 hours ago, some of you may know that uh, I put forward uh, a, a, uh, a tweet, uh, in fact, a campaign, which said that we need to get rid of this guy Fauci. 
And if you look here, let me bring it up here. Um, and that campaign, uh, I, I put it on Twitter. Twitter is one of the vehicles that I use to uh, get the message out. And that message was the following. If you can read here, it basically says that, you know, the deep state fake science establishment, oh, let me make sure I'm transitioned. Yeah. Uh, led by Fauci, cares zero about the immune health of the American public. To them, every problem is an infectious disease, a coronavirus, and every solution is a vaccine. Time to destroy Big Pharma, fire Fauci. And this, uh, is the, uh, this is the tweet that I put out with a link on a page, which you know we developed, and um, it basically has the petition to fire Fauci, and it says indictment and firing of Anthony Fauci, and then it gives a, a little narrative, and at the bottom of it, you can see close to 19,000 people have signed up. Right there, 19,000 people have signed up as of April 6, 2020, and I'm sure there's um, more coming in. We have nearly 400, 400 medical doctors, 400 medical doctors who have signed up. 400 medical doctors all over the world have signed up asking for Fauci's firing. Most MDs um, went into medicine for a noble purpose. However, their hands are also, they, they have golden handcuffs in some ways. The, uh, their training is really pharmaceutical training. It's not about looking the body as a system. Their training is not about really considering food and nutrition as a primary line of you know defense. It's always been about, you have this ailment, let me find this pharmaceutical drug. So these people are victims of an unfortunate big pharma-based medical establishment. But you can see 400, 500 medical doctors have signed up, people all over the world, because everyday people, people like you and me, we can't be fooled. We understand what's going on. We understand that we're under a lockdown that serves the interests of Big Pharma and their cabal, which includes the CDC, the World Health Organization, China, the Gates Foundation, the Clinton Global Initiative, the Chan Zuckerberg Foundation, and Big Pharma as overall. And this is, by the way, you just, you know, you do a little bit of research and this is well written about. I'm just bringing it uh, much more to the forefront with the credibility of an MIT PhD in biological engineering. And I think it's important that that occurs and hopefully more scientists will come out and talk about it, those who don't have, those who are not gonna uh, hold on to these golden handcuffs. But that's what occurred um, less than 24 hours ago. We hit Fauci really hard. So what is ha what happened after that? Well, what happened shortly after that is I am on Twitter and I get the following message. And the message goes like this. It says, uh, we've temporarily uh, limited some of your account features. And so I was put in essentially some type of holding cell where I could not communicate for about 12 hours, okay? And for someone, of, uh, someone like me who uses this medium to communicate, it's extremely important because, you know, the message that we're talking about, the message of that we need to take an immune systems approach, that we need to focus on immune health, that's a very important message that everyone deserves to hear, particularly the frontline workers, the medical workers, the elderly, you know, the immunocompromised. We need to support their immune health. And the fact that Twitter did this, and why did they do this? Let me show you why they did this. This was their reason, and they, and they wanted me to take down a tweet, okay? Or appeal it, which would have taken long, and that was because of this. And this is not even something that I did in the recent past. They had to go digging to try to find something. 
And what they did was I put out this tweet which said it's beyond criminal. The medical establishment establishment is not quote unquote mandating. And what did I mean by that? I was doing quote unquote mandating to talk about the fact that the 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 pharmaceutical establishment wants to mandate vaccines. That's what they want to do. So I was making a joke, putting it in double quotes that why don't you mandate vitamin D while you're at it if you truly care about our uh, seniors, immunocompromised and frontline workers. More importantly, vitamin D is a proven solution for acute respiratory infections. There, and I, and I shared that in several research articles. This is not hearsay. What I'm saying is vitamin D is a proven solution for respiratory infections. There's been thousands of articles done on it. In fact, the recent review paper that came out on it in 2017, 11,000 participants. So the issue is, what must be proof in the eyes of the scientific establishment? That's what we're gonna talk about. Who is determining what is science, what is real science, what is real innovation, and who's a real innovator? And I have some very personal experience with that on multiple levels as the guy who invented email having gone through the struggle that the military industrial complex tried to deny the facts of that, try to completely make it a contra, quote unquote a controversial claim. Plus a scientist who's been in and out of MIT four degrees, work with some of the leading researchers in the world. I know, you know, face to face what's happening with science. Science is completely being compromised. When you look at something like this, the fact that probably some a $5, $15 an hour paid person in some call center, which uh, Jack Dorsey and his Silicon Valley aristocrats think should be given the rights to determine what is proof or not, this is the insanity of what's going on. We have a cabal in this world which is determining that vitamin D, which is from the sun, is not a proven solution or whether it is when there's been thousands of research articles done on this. And this should get everyone angry. Everyone should be upset that Twitter is taking down a tweet and putting me, incapacitating me from communicating, a guy who has four degrees from MIT, a PhD in biological engineering, who does research on the immune system, who day and night is actually working with some of the best natural products companies to help them figure out how the immune system works and other companies, and who gets invited to the National Science Foundation to give the lecture on the immune system, a distinguished lecture. Who is Twitter to take down this kind of, of tweet? Who, who are they? And who is Twitter? Where did they come from? And who do they actually represent? That is the conversation we need to have. Who are these 0.0000001% determining our future? That's the discussion we need to have. And that's the discussion we all need to be awakened up to is that we are at a point right now, you know, April 6, April 7, 2020, is with all this coronavirus taking place, all of us in our homes, it's a time to really reflect. And I hope to be a small, humble catalyst for supporting that reflection. And that reflection is, are we going to be free people or are we going to be slaves? This is a question that has historically occurred over and over again in human history. When we were in physical chains, working for a slave master, when we were a serf, working for a lord or when we were you know people who basically have to do mechanized work all day long on a factory shop line we are no different at this point 
And Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, the Clintons, the Chinese Communist Party who love, runs a top-down model, Big Pharma, led by their frontman Anthony Fauci, who, is who, is, who believes that they are going to lead us into a, 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 view, a, a, a society where it's top-down controlled. And that's what the division here is. Do you believe that a few people on top should be telling you what to do and controlling your bloodstream and your health? That's where we're at. Or does health and innovation and does science come from the edges? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Where does intelligence come from? Where does innovation come from? And where does real science come from? Because this is no longer a question about a virus, this is a question about your humanity. Because I would argue with you that the truth is that being a human being and whatever spiritual tradition you come from is about you as a human being, if you believe you're a spark of the divine or you have something unique to offer this world, that you have a dream, that you have something to offer, that you have a creative execution of something you wanna do and you wanna be innovative. So the goal of human life is for you and I to have the freedom to express our creativity. That could be a 14-year-old kid inventing the first email system. It could be an artist who wants to become a great ballerina dancer. It could be someone who wants to create a great piece of artwork. It could be someone who wants to invent, someone who wants to be a great cook. It doesn't matter. But the issue is the expression of creativity and the expression of innovation is the ultimate form of being a human being. And when you deny that ability to create, that ability to innovate to a small, small, small set of people, a few set of people in Silicon Valley, Bill Gates, who by the way, did not invent DOS. He was a rich boy who went and got it from someone else and sold it. Zuckerberg, it's unclear whether he created Facebook or he stole it, but I can tell you this, that a 14-year-old kid in Newark, New Jersey, me, I did invent email before I came to MIT. And the reason that bothers them is this central question of where does innovation come from? Does it come from the triangle of the military industrial academic complex, which means a few people that you have to go to MIT, you have to go to Silicon Valley, you have to go to IIT in India, that you have to be part of the elite. And then you are stamped that you're an innovator. And the reason I can talk to this is because I had both experiences. I invented email before I came to MIT. And after I came to MIT, which is part of the military industrial complex, I did many other innovations and you can go look at it. I was on the front page uh, as, a, you know, as a darling of MIT for doing many things. But the day I laid out the facts after my dear mom died in 2011, in a, uh, and, and, and it was laid out that in, in clear black and white, that the invention of email took place before I came to MIT. That goes against this deep set narrative that all great innovations, all great science must come from a few set of people. So let's talk about that. If you look at the history of science, and there's a great book, I don't know if I have it here, Dennis Noble, if you have a time to read this, he was one of the great history of science people. He, he wrote this book called Forces of Production. But Dennis Noble um, was a professor at MIT Interesting enough, two weeks before he was supposed to get tenure at MIT, tenure means you have a job for life, he wrote the story about a Michigan auto mechanic who actually did the wind wiper. And he talked about how two MIT professors actually went there, stole his in invention, and created the MIT Control Systems Group. And what he said was he was a Michigan mechanic who for 40 years was an innovator at the edges, and MIT took that and they, as though 
projected as though they were the inventors of control systems theory. The point being, what, what uh, David was bringing out was a point that innovation takes place outside of the bastions of the typical military industrial co complex. So when you look at the history of innovation, be it the wheel, be it everything that was created, innovation is in everyone's DNA. So, and where does innovation come from? Where does science come from? When you really look at it, innovation and science and solving a problem always comes from human beings being in an environment where they're trying to solve a real problem. In 1978, the real problem was here were these secretaries who were working on a desktop with the inbox, the outbox, the folders. They had to write a memo. It would take them hours if they have to do 10 carbon copies. They'd have to put carbon paper, copy it. They would put it in an envelope. They would do attachments. They had to file folders. They had a garbage can where they put trash. I converted that entire system to the electronic version in 50,000 lines of code. As a 14-year-old kid working my butt off, I, term, I named that system email. And then I got the first US copyright at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. But what was I doing? I was a young kid. You know, I was deeply uh, uh, caring and, and, and these secretaries cared for me. I saw them working so hard to get a little memo out, all doing it in paper. And the typical scientists of the time thought these secretaries were too, frankly, quote unquote, stupid that they could never use a computer. But I didn't. And so a young 14-year-old boy in Newark, New Jersey, predominantly African-American, solved a civilian problem, converting that entire system to the electronic version, and I named it email. There's no controversy here. However, when it went into the Smithsonian, people went on Wikipedia, the so-called academic elites tried to destroy my name because it went against this long-held belief that innovation must only come from their centers. Now. This was always not true, even, you know, separate from my creation in 78. Philo Farnsworth, P-H-I-L-O, Farnsworth was a boy, similar conditions, 14-year-old boy, who created TV. He did it in a small lab in his, uh, in his hometown of Franklin, Idaho, a small town. And the ingredients, if you look at Philo Farnsworth and me, the ingredients was not the military industrial academic complex. It was a loving family who cared for me. It was a mentor who took me into his lab at, at, at Rutgers and it was public school teachers. It was in that triangle that innovation came from, not the triangle of MIT, Silicon Valley, Harvard. And if you look at all great innovations that come, they always came from there. So if you look at science, there was a time in science where people would explore it. You know, someone would watch an apple falling from a tree or someone would watch a moving car while being inside of it like Einstein and do thoughtful experiments, really looking at data, but stepping back and trying to understand the phenomenon of life. And that's when some of the greatest discoveries took place. And it also took place by people who were hands-on, like people like Michael Faraday. You know, he was really the contributor to Maxwell's equations, but he was a working class guy. You can read about it. Maxwell got a lot of the credit because he was part of the elite. It's called Maxwell's equations, okay? The point is people who are in the trenches actually solving the problem, be it trying to understand how to move this inner office mail system to this, or Philo Farns were actually trying to understand, you know, how electricity work and how to send beams. People who are actually in the trenches are the ones who are the true innovators. But what has happened since around World War II, starting around World War II, after we created the Manhattan Project, after the Russians put up Sputnik, 
Innovation and science dramatically changed the United States. It went away from the hobbyists, from the young innovators, from people working in their garages, to becoming mammoth establishment science. So we took the fear, uh, so in the United States, a fear of uh, Russia putting up Sput Sputnik, the fear of you know the, the Nazis, the atom bomb. So there was a way that they consolidated science to go solve those problems. But that methodology of science became the modus operandi, which means everything became big. The National Institute of Health, which was a $100 million organization, today stands at, I think, 10 to $20 billion in funding. Explosive growth in these scientific institutions where science became highly centralized. In the old days, if you had a good idea, you would try to figure it out yourself. Maybe you could uh, find some private people who would support you, but it was bottoms up. But what ended up happening post Sputnik, post the Manhattan Project in the United States was science became mammoth science, big science. And as a part of that, consolidation of science took place and consolidation of thinking. One of those consolidations was how we look at infectious disease, okay? How we look at disease for that matter. The National Institute of Health today controls 50% of their budget is for biological sciences. 50% of their budget is for biological sciences, which means most of the university professors, most of the university presidents are tied into the National Institute of Health. So all of these, these university professors rely on a few set of people to make decisions on will their universities get their money, okay? And how does that process work? Well, whenever they do grant funding, the National Institute of Health meets and they have what are called uh, call for papers in a particular area. And the people who sit around that little circle to determine if your research project gets funded or not, guess what? 70, 80% of them are from the big universities which receive the funding. Moreover, the people who sit on those review boards also run the major peer review journal. So think about this. The NIH decision-making is done by university professors who are the heads of departments of the major universities and who also sit on the papers, the review journals, the peer review journals. So why is this important? Well, if you are a, a PhD and you want to get a tenured professorship in the biological sciences, so you start off as a PhD uh, who graduates and now you want to be a professor, let's say at Harvard University in chemical biology or the biological sciences, what you have to do in order to get that position, you have seven years. You have seven years to publish a bunch of papers and your papers have to be cited by your other peers. So let's say you're writing a paper and you say, you know what, I think vitamin D can really help infectious disease or cure cancer. Well, if the peers who control the narrative on cancer do not believe in natural therapies, do not believe in sunshine, do not believe in vitamin D, they always believe in chemotherapy, guess what? A, your paper will never get published, or B, if it gets published, no one will refer to you. In the sciences, when after those seven years, when the committee meets to decide whether you're gonna be become a tenured professor uh, in that university, they say, well, how many people cited your publications? So if you're doing radically new work, and no one cites it, guess what? You're out, okay? So what does that mean? That means people fall in line. People do not do innovative things. People do not do radical work. They do not do revolutionary work. They come to the me medi mediocrity. They come to the median. Let me repeat that. 
science in this in the world is no longer doing anything innovative okay it's not and if you think it is uh, I'm here to tell you that's not what's happening it always comes to the norm and that's what we're seeing right here in this ridiculous disgusting you know deletion forcing me to delete this tweet so I could still have access and be online what you're seeing here is the fact that somebody some call center worker working for Twitter is making a decision because someone told them this is not truth. That's what's taking place. A few set of people are determining truth at the detriment of all of us. But the scientific establishment, getting back to that, has been completely centralized. Okay? We, we, we haven't seen any major breakthroughs, or nor that, nor are there any real breakthroughs that are out there ever reach you because the scientific establishment works very closely, particularly in the biological sciences, with Big Pharma. So here you have the academics, the scientific establishment. By the way, it's all centralized. You can't be a little scientist in your lab anymore. I happen to be very fortunate because I invented, made some money, and I have the ability to go direct, I can articulate, and I have the degrees from MIT. So they're in a bit of a conundrum with me, okay? But the reality is, that we've eliminated the independent scientists. We've eliminated the independent innovators fundamentally. By the way, you can be a dropout out of Harvard, that's cool, or a drop, you know, like Gates or Zuckerberg. But, and they could go on to doing great things, but you surely could not be the inventor of email coming from Newark, New Jersey. So you have to understand the caste dynamics that's building globally. But the scientific establishment, you have to understand, has become highly, 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 highly centralized, okay? And Fauci at the NIH has built his entire career on this. He, Anthony Fauci, I would say, controls millions of academics' futures. No hyperbole. He singularly, with his little cabal, can annihilate a biological scientist at any one major university if they don't fall in line. That's what's fundamentally going on, that you have singular command and control. This is no different than the Communist Party. Uh, the Central Committee controlling everything that goes on with billions of people. And that's what we have right now. We have the complete consolidation of science. So what does that mean? That means that we, it, it becomes very, very difficult to get access to truth. Because truth comes from practicing the scientific method. So what is the scientific method? Well, you make an observation, or you first you start with a hypothesis, and then you go collect data, and then you take that data to see if your data matches the observation. And you go around in this process, but you go to it with great innocence, great reverence for truth. That's a scientific method. And as Richard Feynman said, if your data does not match your hypothesis, your guess, it doesn't matter how good looking you are, what kind of family you come from, how much money you have, you're simply wrong. However, what we move to is what's called scientific consensus. Scientific consensus means 97% of the people believe that CO2 is a pollutant and everyone agrees to that. 97% of the people believe that every disease is an infectious disease and every solution is a, is a biopharmaceutical biopharma, intervention or a, or a vaccine. That becomes a truth. So let's look at that in the history of, of disease. You see in the 1700s, the notion was there was a germ theory which became the model of all science. Model of all science was a germ theory. And the germ theory basically said that germs causes diseases. 
So you had the beginning of the virus hunters, the bacteria hunters. And there were certain areas, you could argue this was valuable, but one of the fundamental areas that this became uh, useless and what we're suffering from now today is that everything became an infectious disease and for every infection and for every disease we kept always wanting to find a microbe so let me give you an example scurvy scurvy is when your gums start bleeding when your teeth start falling out now when scurvy was first noticed in the 1700s 1800s right people some people knew oh wait a minute if you eat limes people are getting it but that was dismissed let me repeat that people knew to give people limes and in fact, that's why sailors were called limeys. But that was dismissed by the medical establishment of the time. They said, no, 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 no. It's caused by some hygiene. It's caused by pe people transmitting microbes. And people spent many, many years trying to find these microbes, okay? A lot of time was spent hundreds of years. There must be a microbe. There must be a microbe. It's a hygiene of these sailors. Well, finally, when vitamin C was isolated, we know today that scurvy is caused by deficiency in vitamin C. The reason I'm telling you that is a medical establishment at that time was convinced everyone that scurvy, you know, this disease with your teeth falling out, was an infectious disease. And the goal was let's find the particular microbe. Let me give you another example, pellagra. Pellagra, you may P-E-L-L-A-G-R-A, you can look it up if you're online. Pellagra was where people would get these horrible, like, inflamed skin. Their skin would get so rough. Um, it would uh, cause all sorts of uh, other kinds of side diseases, you know, but Fundamentally, it was a horrible looking disease for the person who had it. Well, pellagra was immediately uh, seen as, oh, it's a disease being transmitted by flies. Okay, stable flies. People were quarantined. People thought this was a pandemic. In fact, there was racism. People th thought that Italian immigrants brought it in, that they had some microbes. But pellagra was seen for about 50 to 100 years. It must be an infectious disease. It's some bacteria. Well, until there was a very smart uh, doctor, Goldberger, and he basically went to these asylums where doctors and nurses were there, and then the farmers used to work near the asylums, and he noticed that the doctors and the nurses had no pellagra. And however, the farmers did who were working nearby because they were eating a high corn diet, and the high corn diet did not give them en enough vitamin B3, niacin, okay? So, but for hundreds of years, the microbe hunters, the virus hunters, um, were convinced that this must be a, a microbe. This must be some virus. Until it was shown it was vitamin B3, which is vitamin uh, niacin deficiency. One of the important things to understand was in this germ theory process, there was a gentleman by the name of Koch, K-O-C-H, Koch's postulates, and Koch started saying, wait a minute, before you can assign that this virus or this pathogen causes this disease, it must meet a set of Koch's postulates. Postulate number one is that you must find that microbe in abundance in the person experiencing that disease. So if it was pellagra or scurvy, you better find a lot of this pathogen that you're claiming. So in the case of pellagra and scurvy, they never could find it. And if they did, they found something that had nothing to do with that, okay? So first one is you gotta find a lot of abundance. Abundance was the key of that virus or bacteria. The second thing is you should be able to isolate it. That was Koch's second hypothesis. And by the way, Koch's postulates are the foundations of biological sciences. 
So you should be able to isolate that particular bacterium or that particular virus. That's second. The third was you should then be able to isolate this and you should be able to go and put it into another organism like a mice or a rat, etc. And the third thing is it should cause the same disease in that new organism as you observed in the original. And then finally, you should be able to isolate that back from that organism and it better be the same as what you got. So these are Koch's postulates. The bottom line is that none of these situations match Koch's postulates, okay? So people are hunting, hunting, trying to find it and they never could find it. But the medical establishment always wanted to enforce everything was an infectious disease, a microbe or a virus, but they did not want to accept that it was vitamin C in the case of scurvy or vitamin B3 niacin in the case of pellagra. A third example is beriberi, B-E-R-I, B-U-R-I. This causes swelling, you know, you get an enlarged heart. This was also another quote-unquote epidemic of the time. And what this was found to be was because people stopped eating the, you know, the nutritious dark breads. People were eating the polished rice. Particularly, this was occurring in places like Asia or the polished white breads. And it turned out that this disease, beriberi, which was also attributed to a, a, a microbe. Everyone thought it was a microbe. And it was finally realized that this was because of thiamine, vitamin B1. So I've given you three examples here. Scurvy, pellagra, and beriberi. That's in you know, relatively older times, you know, 1700s to 1900s, where people thought these were infectious diseases. Well, when the National Institute of Health really started emerging, centralizing power, a guy called Shannon really wanted to centralize power in the NIH to really grow it. And the way they grew it was to bring back this focus on microbes, 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 viruses, viruses, viruses. And this was an era where we were consolidating science and everything became getting data, getting data, getting data, measuring everything. So we built these amazing instruments that could go in and see this microbe, that microbe. So it was all about massive funding that just went blindly everywhere to gather data, gather data, gather data, okay? And you got funded a lot of money if you simply gathered data. So that became the scientific establishment's norm, gathering of tremendous amounts of data. So you funded people to gather data and gather data. So that became the central focus of most of the biological sciences. So if you could show a way that you were gonna gather data, you got funded. So what we have today is in the recent past, some of you may know when I, uh, uh, in 1976, it was a bicentennial year. Some of you may remember, there was a thing called Legionnaire's disease, okay? And it occurred in a hotel in Philadelphia where people got really sick and the microbe hunters came in and they said, oh, this has to do with this bacteria. They searched and searched in the air conditioning vents and that's how people got this disease. 20, I think 25, 28 people died. And this became a huge explosive thing that the media ran with. Well, it turned out that big bacteria occurs everywhere. It occurs everywhere around us. And it wasn't that why those people got hurt and died. It was because the night before, as the data showed, these people were heavily smoking. They were much older people. They were completely getting trashed. And there was some poisoning that took place from their own alcohol and the amount of smoking that they did. That's what happened, they compromise their immune system. So what I'm coming back to is in the entire dialogue of the coronavirus, everyone must recognize the central focus is find that virus, you know, fight that virus, fight that virus, kill that virus, vaccines and pharmaceuticals. It is not about immune health. And the reason is the history of the centralized medicine 
favors a, a pharmaceutical approach, which is everything is a nail and everything must be a hammer. Everything must be a virus. Everything must be a vaccine. Everything must be a pharmaceutical drug. So in this case of what we're experiencing right now with the coronavirus, which Fauci is misleading the entire country, you have about six to 10,000 people in the United States who have died, okay? That is a fraction, 60,000 people died of the flu. That is a fraction of how many people die of heart disease, a non-infectious disease. You know, 600, 640,000 people. How many people die of cancer? 440,000 people die of medical errors. A small fraction, and what have we been all uh, geared to do? It's this virus, and there's nothing you can do except quarantining yourself and flattening the curve. This is their solution. When the reality is, when I put out that tweet about vitamin D, it goes back to fundamental science. People's immune systems, the people who are dying, let's really look at it with, with unabashed honesty. The people who are dying are, first of all, elderly people, people who have pre-existing conditions, people who are obese and diabetic. That's who's actually dying. And why are they dying? Because they have pre-existing conditions, and if they get the virus, now in the hospitals, they're cooking the books and everyone is COVID dying. Forget the fact that they had an unhealthy lifestyle, that they were unhealthy before they came, and they probably didn't have enough nourishment, like in the case of scurvy, pellagra, et cetera. And what I'm talking about here is vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin C. I mean, there's a whole host of things, zinc. But the issue is, why is the National Institute of Health, why are all these quote-unquote scientists not focusing in on nutrition. That's a question everyone here needs to ask. And that's a question everyone needs to get, frankly, very angry about. Why are we putting our frontline medical health workers and our doctors and our other people and our elderly and not simply saying, look, vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin C, let's beef up your immune systems. Why is that not occurring? That's a central question everyone needs to ask. And what that will lead you to is a path to truth, freedom, and health. And, and what'll lead you to understand is that what we have right now is that we have a total consolidation of the scientific establishment, total consolidation of what is innovation. And what we're seeing is not that much innovation, except everything is a hammer and everything is a nail, everything must be a vaccine, and everything must come from big pharma. When the reality is vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin C, sunshine, fresh vegetables, you know, clean water, clean air, clean food is what we deserve. So when I put this talk out, it's called Citizen Science versus the Scientific Establishment, The Path to Truth, Freedom, and Health. Here's a solution. I've sort of railed, hopefully enough, on what's going on. By the way, to finish up on this microbe theory, everything, you know, everything is an infectious disease, everyone should go research Anthony Fauci's history with Robert Gallo. If you remember, this ain't Anthony Fauci's first rodeo. He fooled the entire world with Robert Gallo that HIV, HIV, a little microbe here, whatever virus, is a cause of immune deficiency, acquired immune deficiency syndrome, AIDS. Completely a lie. Anthony Fauci and his cohort should be indicted for this. They should go to jail for this if people actually understood what happened. The reality is that AIDS is a suppression of the immune system. It's a suppression of your adaptive immune system and your innate immune system. And that occurs when, in the case of AIDS, most of the patients were popping amyl nitrates. 200 papers written that amyl nitrates lower your immune system. Of the first 87 AIDS cases, 90% of them were gays 
who were consuming massive number of amyl nitrates have were having 1500 partners and this is not about politics or not this is the the truth about what actually took place is that these people had compromised immune systems and by the way they saw this virus in there so find a microbe and associate it with the disease the second group of people were people were getting immunosuppressive drugs because they were suppressing their immune systems when they got a blood transfusion. It wasn't there was a virus in the blood. It was a fact that they suppress their immune systems. And the third was IV drug users. These were the facts of AIDS. Anthony Fauci correlated to HIV, started hanging out with Bono and Elton John and tried to become little Emperor Fauci. Complete lie that we associated, that we associated the a virus with acquired immune deficiency syndrome. So the notion of always blaming a microbe and, to, to, and ignoring the fact that we've suppressed the immune systems through dirty air, dirty water, and dirty food has been ignored. Why? Because the politicians in this world, the lawyer lobbyists, many of them who I'm running against for U.S. Senate. By the way, let me take a quick break. Everyone knows that I'm running for United States Senate. You know, shivaforsenate.com. If you go to that website right now, everyone should, you know, support our campaign if you want to volunteer. You can support the campaign if you're from overseas. Um, you know, I part of what I'm doing for our campaign is I want to teach everyone how the body is a system. So if you donate $25 or more, I hate to take something for nothing. You get a book called System and Revolution, and you get access to an application that I built that'll teach you how your body is a system. Those of you from overseas, you can't donate to our campaign. You can go to your body, your system, and you can get the same thing, yourbodyyoursystem.com. The reason I'm sharing that is that we're at a point where people need to understand you cannot no longer trust the medical establishment. I hate to say that. You cannot trust the scientific establishment. It's all centralized. A few people run it. So we need to go to a systems approach to understand things and we need to do something even more extraordinary which is very feasible now is we need to go to citizen science. Let me repeat that. We need to go to citizen science model of innovation. We need to go to a citizen science model of doing actual science. What that means is that the current model is top down. A few set of people are dispersing money and determining what truth is. A few set of people like Jack at Twitter has his minions determining that vitamin D is not a proven solution. Total bullshit. The truth is that we have a, a problem in this world where freedom is being constrained, truth is being constrained, and health is being constrained. So what do I mean by that? Truth, freedom, and health. Well. If you don't have freedom to express your views openly and you don't have the opportunity to debate things out, then you never can practice a scientific method. Let me explain what I mean. If we don't have freedom to go out and talk, if we're all censored, if we can't give opposing viewpoints, then you know what happens? We don't have freedom. And without freedom, you can't really do science. You can't execute the scientific method where you ask a question, you do experiments, and you come back and you say, no, I was wrong. So the world starts moving into scientific consensus, which means 97% of the people believe the sun goes around the earth. The fact that one guy has data showing otherwise means nothing. And therefore you create lies and not truth. And when you create fake science, then what happens? You can use that to create a fake problem and a fake solution. Let's not talk about vitamin D and vitamin A and taking care of our bodies. Let's always talk about a vaccine. Fake problem, fake solution. Maybe we need to boost up our immune systems. All those people are dying, 95, 90, 99% of them have, were immunocompromised.
okay, had pre-existing conditions. And if we truly cared about them, we would, be, we would be focused on clean air, clean water, clean food. We would be getting rid of companies like Monsanto. None of us would be buying their stuff. None of us would be uh, withstanding the fact we elect 60, 70% lawyers who support lobbies who make sure our water is no longer clean. We would be raising up in arms militantly against these people. And that's what they don't want. They don't want people rising up from below. So they want to do top-down solutions as though an idiot like Bill Gates, that's what he is. He's, this guy has built his entire publicity shtick that he knows anything about the biological sciences. He knows nothing. He is for the Gates Foundation, which has taken money from you and I. They've evaded taxes. The Zuckerbergs have evaded taxes and the Clintons have put it into their own little family foundation and they're going to tell us what to do. But the reality is we need to move to a citizen science model to get a truth. What do I mean by that? Look, anyone listening, whether you're in the United States, whether you're in Africa or India, wherever you are, our tax dollars go to fund these scientists. So when my money goes to fund a scientist in a public uh, and they get public dollars, you know what? You and I own that data. So here's the solution. When we fund science, then you know what? We have the right to that data. And we have the right to analyze that data. Most people know how to use a spreadsheet. There's, a there's millions of smart people, billions of smart people in this world. So if a scientist at Harvard or MIT or Yale or wherever they are, we give them our money to conduct some experiment, you know what? The instant they're conducting that experiment, it should go to the cloud because it's public dollars and it should be made accessible to all of us so we can analyze it. Let me ask anyone this question. Does anyone know where the climate change data is? Does anyone know where any of this data is that we can even find? Oops, let me sh make sure I didn't lose something here. Um, we're still live. Uh, does anyone in the world, can you tell me where you can actually find any of the satellite data that measures all these temperatures? I couldn't find it. Can anyone find when we fund uh, some of these public institutions on whether vaccines work or not. Where is that data? I would like to see it. I would like to do, be a citizen scientist. And I know you should have the right to do that also. So what we need to do is we need to have an opportunity for all of us to have access to the data that we fund. That's called citizen science. And we need to eliminate this entire peer review nonsense. The peer review journals, the entire peer review model was a way to constrain science. So what do I mean by that? You know, there were only a few papers, you know, maybe 10, 20 publications in the 1800s. Now there's tens of thousands of peer-reviewed journals controlled by a finite set of people. What we need to do, by the way, Einstein never published one paper peer review. One of his last papers he submitted, they said, well, Dr. Einstein, we need to send it to your peers to review. He goes, give me back my paper. Peer review can never support new innovative work. Let me just publish it direct. So look, if, you're, if your science is true, it should withstand the, the facts that you should be able to replicate the experiment, replicate, replicate the actual hypothesis and the conclusions. But these people do not want that. They want to control it. So number one, we need to eliminate this whole peer review model. We need to decentralize science to the edges, which means you and I can do our experiments. We should, be, we should have access to the public comments to do experiments. And if these people do experiments, I want to have access to that data immediately. What they do today is they do an experiment in their little labs. Remember, they got to get tenure. They got to get funding. They hold on to their data. They massage their data until that line fits their curve that they need so they can get more funding. This is what's actually going on. And we're seeing right now with the coronavirus situation is the fact 
that the, the, the books, the, <laughs> they're cooking the books here because we don't really know. Everyone's going to be termed a COVID-19. We need to know what their pre-existing conditions were so we can all, as a society, know, wait a minute, that guy didn't die of COVID-19. He died of because he had a weakened and dysfunctional immune system. That's what the reality here is. It's a weakened and dysfunctional immune system caused by personal response, lack of personal responsibility, what you put in, maybe a little bit of genetics and dirty air, dirty water and dirty food. I would like to know that, you should know that, just like what really caused these people's deaths, okay? There are viruses everywhere around us. Imagine a little goldfish swimming in a little, you know, a pool. Well, that pool is a pool of viruses and bacteria and fungi. We're around it all the time. We're around it all the time. The issue is how do we boost our immune health? How do we survive? How do we become resilient human beings? And I think it's so disgusting that Anthony Fauci is not even discussing this, that this is not even in the national discourse. And but many of you know, it doesn't add up. So the way we get there, the way we get to truth and we're at an inflection point is we must demand citizen science. That is the way we get to truth. We must demand citizen science, which means science, the data, when experiments meet, uh, are done, need to be dispersed back to us. The technology is there. Let Twitter support that. Let Google support that, but they're not. Google and Twitter and these organizations are censoring and censoring and censoring. So how do we get beyond citizen science? In order to have citizen science take place, there's another piece. We need to have digital rights. We need to make sure that that all of us can communicate freely. And one of the things I've been promoting, I'll talk about that again, but I'll give you a little new, a little piece of it is, you know, there is an organization called the Postal Services of many countries. In the United States, it's called the United States Postal Service. They were created by the enlightened founders of this country, not to simply send mail around. If you go look at the history, the goal was all of us were supposed to be the press, all of us. And the king, the monarchy, the little people on top who wanted to control all of us in, in pre-1776 told us that only a few people could be the press and no one else could be. So when the Postal Service got created by the, by the founders of this country, they made sure that I could send you a letter, you could send someone else a letter. They made it very cheap and no one could interfere. In fact, the Postal Service has a military force in some ways, a police force that if anyone inter, 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 uh, intervenes in that communication, it's a 20-year sentence in prison, okay? Now contrast it to where we are, quote unquote, free email, Hotmail, Yahoo, all these guys, Google. When I send you an email or I send you a communication, they own our communication. In 1997, I went to the Postal Service and I said, you know what? You guys need to develop, offer the public not just mail, because that wasn't your only narrow. You were supposed to support free communication. You should support a public email, a public social media service. And I believe people will pay around 50 bucks, but that cannot be censored. So the Postal Service in the United States is not doing their job. They think they're in the letter mail business. They're not. They're supposed to be in the communications business. So that's one of the important ways, and I'll talk more about it. But in closing, what I want to make people aware is that science and innovation have been centralized to a few people that only a Zuckerberg or only a Gates can offer solutions that no one else can. That vitamin D and vitamins and indigenous solutions which come from the edges, which come from all of us are no longer viable. That it must be only a few solutions and that everything 
is always an infectious disease. Everything. And that's what they're banking on because when they do that, infection brings up in your mind all sorts of ideas about, oh my God, I could get this, my ch the fear mongering. And when you promote fear mongering, which is what Fauci is doing and Big Pharma is doing, they got you. They got you right there where they want you, okay? They got you because now they can feed you everything else. They can say, you know what? We're gonna remove your freedom away. We're gonna start tagging you with a chip. You can't drive around. You can't go here. You can't go there. Where's your vaccine card? And you say, okay, I'll do that. You become amenable to that because you're afraid of infectious diseases everywhere, okay? It is a methodology of control. And that is what's taking place. China, CDC, WHO, Gates Foundation, Clinton Global Initiative, Chan Zuckerberg, Fauci. These guys are all involved in this. And they're doing this because a bigger agenda is for, for a set of global elites. Not, I'm not even talking about the guys who make a million dollars. I'm not, I'm talking about global elites to move civilization into a model where it's no longer human beings, you being a creative individual, you having the light within you to, to pursue your own dreams, but to make us automatons in a mass, vast factory, which is what China is. They, they, they treat their people like dirt and it's a factory. The goal is imagine 7.2 billion people being little automatons, getting vaccinated, doing a set of jobs, and we basically become slaves. That's what this is about. And it is up to you to realize that we must stand up as what occurred in the late 1800s in this country when the American working class militantly rose up and they fought for their rights. That's how we got infrastructure in the early 1900s. That's how we got rid of infectious diseases. Go look at the history. It was the militant working class. I'm not talking about communists. I'm talking about working people like you and me who are fed up with this nonsense who are fed up with Bill Gates, Zuckerberg, Anthony Fauci lying to us, making up science. And that's what I'm here to tell you. It's time that we shut down these people. It's time that we took care of our own health. It's time that we got leaders who ensured we had clean water, clean air, and clean food. All of you should get upset. This is a time not to be in fear, but if you want, replace that with anger. Anger is not a bad thing. It'll free you. But we need to understand that the fake science institution consolidated controls innovation, controls science. That's why many of these idiots get so upset that I put inventor of email. You know why I do that? I do that for you and I do that for working people because it was a 14 year old kid who invented email. It wasn't done by the military industrial complex and they so wanna deny that. They wanna deny that because they wanna deny you, your own humanity. And that's what this is about. And it's about time we end it. Because if we let this go on, I'll guarantee you next year this time, the severity of our quarantining, the severity, we will lose massive amount of freedom. And we cannot allow that because you might as well call it game, set, match. And you might as well wonder what it means to be a living human being. Because for me, being a human being is recognizing that I am a spark of God, you're a spark of God, and we were put here to completely explore the essence of being a human being. And look, Easter, one of my favorite holidays is coming up. In India, it's known as a Tamil New Year. In Passover's coming. This is an important time for us, each one of us, to recognize our own humanity and decide, do we want to be human beings or do we want to be automatons? The Chinese Communist Party, that's the way they treat their people. That's the way centralized science does. That's not... I don't think why we were all born 
into this world to be. We were all born to be beings of light. So let me end by saying, know the truth, be the light, and find your way. Thank you. Be well.